Welcome, everyone, to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting-edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone, Dr. Mercola, helping you take control of your health. And today we're going to dive deep into how to protect yourself from one of the highest contributors to the likelihood of you dying prematurely, which is going into the hospital for conventional medical care. We've already been well-established. In fact, I was the person who promoted this meme in July of 2000, not 2020, 2023 years ago, literally, uh, that doctors are the third leading cause of death. And one of the ways they're able to do this is to, well, there's so many ways, but one of the ways is the hospital. And they're, I mean, thank God we have hospitals. They are enormous healing centers and they have saved i no doubt in my life millions and millions of people's lives as a result of that but they've also killed at least that many i would think so you, you the, the the key here is to um understand what the dangers are and be proactive pro, proactive measures to guard yourself and your family, because the issue is it's going to be your family members, most likely not even you, that is going to need to know this information. You And, you know, when you're in the hospital, you're not going to be able to do squat because you're potentially in a coma and you have to have someone understand this so they can navigate through the system and successfully rescue you from a premature terminal event. So exciting, powerful information you want to definitely want to uh, bookmark this and keep it around because you will invariably need it sometime in the future. So we have Laura Bartlett and Greta Cropper to provide us this information. And they're both expert in this being, they have a whole organization they put together and really compiled some amazing resources. So um, they each have their own unique history and we're going to let them share what that history is. And they're, they're, a background so you can have a better understanding of what they're doing. Okay. So whoever wants to go first. Go ahead, Greta. Okay. Well, uh, my name is Greta Crawford and um, I started a website and created a website called protocolkills.com. This came after um, I was uh, in the hospital with COVID. Um, my uh, family got COVID, but unfortunately I was the one that went to the hospital. In the process of uh, going to the hospital, I was... Um, denied informed consent and was completely unaware of, of uh, some of the things they were doing to me. I was given five rounds of remdesivir, which nearly took my life and um, did not even know that I was being poisoned at the time. But after do, I got up, I'm do sorry. You have do you have long-term kidney damage as a result? I actually do not. I've done a lot of detox. Um, every day I do detox and, um, and a lot of prayer. And uh, um, I don't feel that I've had any type of damage. Um, I feel okay um, right now. But um, as far as getting things um, checked out by a medical doctor, I have not done that yet. But right now I'm I'm leaning more on my faith. So, um, but during the time uh, in the hospital, 
I went from thinking I was going to go home after I got oxygen to actually um, feeling like that I was going to die. I I was almost certain I was going to die after being given just the first dose of remdesivir. Uh, again, once I got out of the hospital, I realized um, what had happened to me and the, you know, the constant push for the vaccine in the hospital, the harassment for not, you know, getting vaxxed and the fact that I was given medication without my knowledge at all. And um, which led me to start the website to not only inform people about what was going on, but a platform to allow other victims who were not as fortunate as me. Many of them, the majority of them did not make it out alive. And so uh, it's a platform for them to share their story. We have over 250 stories on there um, uh, about, you know, what they faced in the hospital. And um, we really wanted to get this information out there to the public. But we also wanted to give a solution, um, not just to scare people. And um, that's where I ended up meeting Laura. And um, Laura, you can take it from there. Right. And so before I met Greta, um, at the beginning of uh, COVID, early 2020, Um, I started helping my brother, Dr. Richard Bartlett, who um, had a protocol utilizing budesonide, inhaled a budesonide steroid um, as part of his protocol to treat COVID early. And we also found it very effective uh, once people were in the hospital to to help reverse uh, the the COVID uh, and also the scarring of the lungs and the inflammation of the lungs and people, even uh, people on ventilators were able to, re- uh, not all, but uh, there are instances where it, it even helped people who were on a ventilator as uh, long as 30 days uh, come off the ventilator and go home. Um, so I was helping him get that message out early 2020. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I'm just somebody who could help uh, get that um, uh, known uh, around the world. My background is uh, in media PR. And so um, he asked me if I could help him, and I did. And within uh, 24 hours of him asking, we had, uh, you know, a local story, a local affiliate in West Texas cover it. And then it just, it's, he went viral on YouTube with uh, one interview in Dallas. And it was, um, it was, I was just tasked with helping him with the mess, you know, get the message out. And in the process, people who knew my brother, knew me, started reaching out uh, to both of us, um, with stories that they were in the hospital and, uh, they were having a hard time getting the doctor to, um, respect their right to inform consent. It was, uh, an overwhelming number of instances where people just felt like they were being bullied or coerced, uh, that their, their right to try budesonide, for instance, was just dismissed. And, uh, it, it was almost as if, uh, Informed consent didn't exist, but it, in fact, it never went away. Even during the, you know, the COVID shielding for hospitals, informed consent between the doctor and the patient uh, never went away. You always had the right to informed consent. And so that's where my my work um, back in 2020 started. And in the process, I realized that since there were so many calls that I was receiving uh, with people reaching out for help, I thought, well, why doesn't somebody come up with a, a way for people to quickly access some information uh, of what their rights are and uh, their patient rights? And so I started a um, a hotline, a nationwide ho- hotline called the Hospital Hostage Hotline, and uh, it's still in effect. I still get calls from all over the country, and I've been able to help people um, who went in for even non-COVID 
reasons like a urinary tract infection uh, that quickly was diagnosed as COVID and they were being pushed towards a protocol and told they couldn't leave, for instance, the hospital and uh, they needed to know they could, that they always had the right to leave AMA against medical advice um, if that's what they chose. They also had the right to, to either consent or not consent to things and it should be respected. And um, I realized that one of the, the biggest uh, tools for getting that informed consent uh, notice to the doctor uh, was not to just verbally say it, but to uh, have it in writing. And these aren't my, you know, my original ideas. I actually had a hospital insider uh, reach out, seeing what I was doing. Uh, somebody who had been in the system and knew how to navigate the system at a high level at, in administration, uh, give me some some tips and tools on how to navigate the hospital system to make sure that informed consent was not only uh, documented and then served in a way that it was delivered effectively to get into the electronic medical record, um, but um, also what their p basic patient rights were and how to advocate for them. So, so uh, there's a website that I started, Hospital Hostage Help, with lots of tips on there. And also there is a hotline, 888-219-3637, that's still in effect. And also ourpatientrights.com that has the very novel document that we're going to share today. Good. So uh, I neglected to mention the introduction that I previously entered a physician, Dr. Andrew Saul, almost 10 years ago now, about a similar topic. And he wrote the book, I believe, The Doctor Yourself. Uh, and it didn't go into as much detail as I think you two are going today, but it was, it was more really addressing the strategies you can implement so that you don't have to go to the hospital, you know, initially, because if you're metabolically healthy, you're going to, and you're optimizing strategies that are under your control, not someone else's, you can reduce your risk of going to the hospital by tenfold, exponentially, no doubt in my mind, because most people are going there because of abusing their systems, most, most of them unintentionally, and they just don't know any better, which has been the bulk of my teaching for the last quarter century. So and Andrew, Andrew was focusing on that too, but he did have some good strategies. Like one of them is never, 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 never go to the hospital alone. You need to have mm -hmm. someone you love there being protecting you. But you, uh, uh, Laura, you had mentioned uh, the, the dreaded term leaving the hospital AMA against medical advice. And in my experience, that's routinely used as a threat to keep them in the hospital. Because if you sign out AMA, you're not gonna have any insurance coverage and you're gonna to have to pay for this whole thing yourself, which is another tool that the system uses to yes. essentially threaten you. But realistic tool, because the number one source of bankruptcies in the United States is the whole entire medical system. So it, it's they're not joking about it. They definitely can sabotage you. All right, so why don't we, why don't one of you answer the question about the AMA or both of you? Signing out AMA, what you know, what 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 is that threat? Is it real? Uh, what 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 is the workaround for that? 
Well, I'll, I'll just say for the average person who doesn't know medical terminology, who is unaware of um, what goes on in a hospital, just the acronym itself, a three-letter acronym, uh, it feels very threatening. You, you can't leave um, AMA. Uh, people don't even know what that means, but um, it's it's almost like FBI or CIA. It just scares them just to hear those three letters. And they're like, okay, well, I can't do it. Um, and they take people for their word. And that in itself is is just a psychological thing that that people don't understand and, and they're unaware of. Um, Laura, do you want to go further about that? Well, yes. Um, th- I'll just give you a, an example. Um, somebody that I was helping advocate for said, uh, you know, the doctor actually said to them, you cannot leave. Um, this person was, um, you know, 15 or 16 days into their COVID diagnosis. And, uh, you know, they were, they were feeling better than 15 days before they were likely not COVID positive. And, um, when they said, you know, we'd like to be retested, uh, they, they said, well, we don't do that. And I, and I said, well, you know, they could probably just get a a test from home and retest themselves. And if they're, they're not COVID positive, they'll just go home. Oh, no, they can't do that. The doctor point blank said they can't leave. They just said they can't leave. That's that's where the the, the name of the hotline came from was they actually felt like hostages. That's what they were reporting to me. I feel like um, I'm held prisoner. These are things I, I heard throughout the last couple of years. I feel like I'm a prisoner. They won't let me leave. But in fact, they always had the right their patient right to leave a hospital uh, whenever they chose to. It's not um, it's not up to the doctor when they can leave. They have to make that medical uh, choice for themselves, whether or not they feel like they can leave. And I always told them, if you, if, if you want to leave, you feel like you can leave, leave. You can always, if you change your mind, you can go back to a hospital. Say something changes in your, your health condition that warrants going back to a hospital, you can do that, either that hospital or another hospital. You can always get transferred to another hospital. If if you don't like what's happening in this hospital, the care that you're receiving, you can transfer to a different hospital or a different level of care. But there are options and people were um, coerced, lied to, and manipulated during this. And they still are. And usually the ulterior motivation is to increase the hospital's bottom line revenue because they... Right. Frequently, that when you're held captive, they're they're chart they're earning a lot more than it would be if you were staying at a hotel room. That's for darn sure. And I use that that example. That have you ever ha- wanted to check out um, after you've you've uh, you've been in a, um, a hotel and said that I'm checking out at 12 noon the next day, and they said I'm sorry, but you can't. Uh, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. you this, can't. It, that's against, that's AHA. That's against the hotel, hotel advice. <laughs> that's right. Right. <laughs> so exactly. yeah, there are, there, the bottom line is there's, it seems like there, in my opinion, money has been a big factor. Profit has been a big factor in all, all of the, you know, a lot of suffering. Uh, patients were afraid to leave because they were told, like in the instance of a gentleman that I was helping in uh, New Jersey, uh, who went in for a urinary tract infection. That was his his uh, reason for going to the hospital. He was an elderly man, didn't know why he was feeling the way he was feeling. Uh, this was early 2020. And uh, he was treated for that. Um, and they quickly tested him for COVID 
and started him on that road towards, you know, fast tracking him, in my opinion, towards a ventilator. Um, and they told him flat out, you're not going to get this paid. You know, if you leave, you're, none of this will be covered by insurance, just like you said, Dr. Mercola. So that was, so that is, was is, is, that a, is that a true statement, though, in your experience? Or is it just a fabrication to uh, cause more fear to keep them there and, and prevent them from leaving? So because I'm not sure. I mean, I've, I've I did have hospital privileges last century, but I have not admitted anyone to the hospital and probably 30 years. So, you know, things have changed in that time. And I'm not sure what the current status is uh, on people leaving AMA. Does that does, in fact, if they do, do they leave the insurance company say, OK, sorry, you violated the recommendations. We can't cover this. It would seem that would be. Illegal. I can't comment on that because I really didn't get into the billing uh, part, but I, I would just encourage people to do whatever um, is best in their uh, if preser preserving their life. You got to you got to factor in what is your life worth? Well, the, the dynamics of the hospital have changed completely in the last three years. They are, are nothing like they were before. And I've been in a hospital before. Um, the the pressure from doctors, uh, you're constantly asked are, you, uh, asked, are you vaccinated? Are you vaccinated? Over and over again, you're pressured and pushed to get vaccinated. Um, my doctor, when my kidney started shutting down, I asked him why my hands and feet were swelling. He just looked at the floor and said, um, COVID strange. We, we just don't know. And Just I, when, that, when you were on remdesivir? Yes. And, and see, I did not even know that I was being given this poison. I didn't know what remdesivir was. They told me it was um, a COVID medication that I needed to take. And I just thought it was a steroid because I'd heard about the steroids. Um, I heard about the ventilators. I even confronted my doctor and said, um, how can you put people on ventilators when you know for a fact that um, they will die on a ventilator? She didn't deny it. What she said is we do what the patient requests like they're all requesting to be put on ventilators. And I said, that's crazy. And I said, well, I'm requesting ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. She said, no, we can't do that. It's not approved. And I actually told her, so you'll go ahead and murder a patient with a ventilator because it's approved, but you won't uh, give possibly life-saving treatments because it's not approved. And um, she just got angry and left the room. This is unlike any hospital situation I've ever been in. Um, like I said, the dynamics have changed completely. And so for me, even if they did threaten me with, um, you know, financial loss, what's more important, um, you know, having troubles financially or being dead? You don't have to worry about finances yeah, if you're dead. And that, and that is a, definitely a, one of the potential outcomes if you continue to listen to what they're recommending. You have to realize that the, going into hospital is, is frequently a terminal decision. That's why you want to avoid it at all costs. On the other hand, though, you don't want to avoid it foolishly. There are times right. when you absolutely need to be there. Thank God they exist. They, they perform an incredibly oh. valuable service, but the discernment is what's the key here. So why don't we assume that they have gotten to the hospital for a good reason, you know, it was valid and they needed to be there. We actually have an but, excuse. I'm sorry. We actually have a, we, I'm sorry, Dr. Mercola, we actually have a example of somebody who went into the hospital and it was for a valid reason. It was for uh, surgery. Mm -hmm. So this is, this well, is, well, ostensibly, most surgeries yeah. aren't valid. They, right. you know, if you dive into the details, you know, like a oh, knee yeah. arthroscopy or something. Right. You know. or, yeah, or there's so back, many, so many of them are, don't, don't, those surgeries don't work, and they, they you know, cause nothing good. 
but um, but non-COVID. I guess I was going to give a non-COVID example because I think uh, I want people to know right up front that just because COVID on the outside of a hospital uh, appears to dwindle down and it's not a not an issue or not a concern, uh, people are reaching out to me that are not going in with the chief complaint of COVID. It's other reasons. It's pancreatitis. You know, it's. Um, yeah. It's a scheduled well, surgery and their informed consent is well, not. I think the broader stroke that needs to be painted here, and I really want everyone to understand this, is that you really need to avoid the hospital at all costs and explore every other alternative, especially if it's a chronic condition. And you mm-hmm. just have to dismiss the belief that the hospital is some magic healing curing place. It is not. It's the furthest thing from there for mm-hmm. almost every condition. So, but if you are, feeling impending doom or you have some life-threatening situation, absolutely get yourself to the emergency room where they can assess you initially or or directly to the hospital. Usually most emergency rooms are connected to hospitals, so that's not too Yes, sir. And you need to be evaluated by someone who who can evaluate this quickly. But once you're assessed and they tell you if it's serious, you got to listen to them until you're really able to do the diagnostics that's required. That's one of the things that medicine is pretty good at. Mm -hmm. I don't really flaw law them for most of them, although some diagnostic procedures are, are foolish and actually highly counterproductive or safeguards aren't taken like CT scans. But na- normally a diagnostic workup can rule out real serious diseases and at least identify what the what the, the con- diagnosis is. They, they rarely identify the, the foundational cause, but the, your goal is to understand what is caused, what is the problem, and then don't rely them on them for the treatment unless it is life-saving. Like you've got an obstruction in your bowel or you just got an auto accident, which is, you know, you know yeah. the, you, where you've got crushed bones or you need abdominal surgery. Thank God they exist because you'd be dead without them. Mm-hmm. But you really need to limit it to those, those few scenarios and avoid it at all other costs, especially like, I don't know the surgery. I mean, most of the surgeries aren't needed. They really mm-hmm. aren't. If you explore really carefully and take months or years to do it, unless you absolutely, I mean, somebody accused a different story, but if it's a chronic condition like joint replacement or something, almost every time there's something better, a better option for you. So that gets you out of the hospital. And even then, you know, a lot of those procedures can be done in outpatient surgical centers where you're not staying overnight. So that's that's going to be a, a lower level threat to your life. So anyway, I think what we want to focus on Persons in the hospital, how about the, the best example probably would be COVID where, where they just absolutely abused it. And then people can take it from there. So they're, I mean, they feel they're dying. And in many cases they were, they had, they went to the hospital, which, which seems appropriate. Although initially most of those people were turned away and said, when you're almost, when you're blue, come on back and then we'll do something for you. And then, then, then they could justify using the ventilator. But so assuming they're in the hospital for something like COVID, and it's very, very clear they're they're not cooperating. They're not doing what you want. They're threatening you with leaving AMA. I think that, that that's where I think you, you you the resources and skills you develop through this pandemic are really useful. So why don't you walk us through the process that one needs to take to take to rescue themselves from this scenario? Because it's not obvious. It's not intuitive, and it's most people wouldn't be able to navigate without some outside guidance. So why, why do we start there? Okay. 
I was just going to say real quick, um, it, you, I agree totally with everything that you're saying. Um, in my situation, I did not want to go to the hospital. Matter of fact, yeah. I held off so much. Um, I started coughing up a lot of blood clots, a lot. Um, and I actually went to my doctor and didn't seem to to bother them. They they knew I had COVID. And they told me to go home and gave me some antibiotics. You, and, usually that's a good indication when you when you're there's blood involved that yes. shouldn't be there. That's a sign you need to be there. So, some medical evaluation because that's not right. You shouldn't right. be caught. Exactly. That, that, that almost never is a good situation. That's so, what I thought. And for the doctor not to say anything and to send me home, just, I thought it was crazy. And then I still didn't go to the hospital because I knew I didn't want to go. And it right. wasn't until I got to 66% oxygen and was literally near death that I ended up going. And that's well, well, the oxygen well, let's, saved let's my just, life. Let's, well, let's just say it did, but, but this is, you know, this is sort of a transition area, but using this as an example, what I would have been ideally is if you sought outpatient care for someone who understood that there are very highly safe and effective treatments that truly do work. And it would have likely gotten you out of the hole with a 99% plus likelihood. Uh, so but you didn't, you know, when you're feeling that way, it doesn't really give you right. the opportunity to like go into internet searches and make phone calls and stuff. But that would have been the ideal situation. Yeah. It should never go there to begin so, with. But you were, so, you did the rational thing. What you did was not irresponsible at all. What they did was irresponsible. Right. So we, can I tell you, Dr. Mercola, we have some great news because what we learned from, from this whole ordeal for the last couple of years is that there was, uh, there was a need for a novel document that we have that does not exist to our knowledge anywhere um, that covers your written consent. This is the key that it, it's a document that documents your current consent, not a medical directives that kick in after you're incapacitated. This is a, a document that before you go into the hospital, we urge everybody to, uh, to write down your, your consent wishes so that the everybody that's involved in your care within the hospital, uh, every physician will have eyes on it because it's it's put into your electronic medical record and documented. It's notarized. It's signed before you go in. That's the key. So do it while you have. Yeah, but do you have a, do you have a list of things? I mean, the average we'll person has yeah, no idea it. what they want to give consent yeah. to. You know. Yes. Yeah. So we're Especially go, when they're struggling with a life-threatening situation. Exactly. So, so we have a process. It's a strategy. It's a novel strategy. I'm so grateful to a hospital insider who saw the problem that was occurring over the last couple of years and helped us navigate the system. So that uh, we have truly an insider's perspective on how to do this to keep people safe. And so, Greta, do you want to start the yeah uh, the audio? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I, we're gonna play this real quick um, uh, audio for you, so that way people have been saying, "Well, COVID's over with; it's all over with." No, we we just uh, recently received this uh, voicemail as early as April 2023. So we're gonna just play this real quick for you. Okay. Come on, I see you. Fourth floor. I need help. Um, they had me struck down in bed and trying to give me medicine, oxygen, and, and all this, whatever, against my will. I don't want to get up any help. And they cut the lines and put socks through. We just 
Yeah. So um, that is something that's really hard to hear, but we want people to understand that it's still going on today. And that was, and that was, a, that was a nurse asking, who are you calling? Um, so there's, there's a lot of resistance to people having any kind of communication outside the hospital for, um, for help. Uh, now we're going to go into um, something that this, this strategy was recently um, uh, endorsed by Dr. Mary Tally Bowden and was tweeted out our, our strategy, our documents, uh, our process just for, uh, about 48 hours ago. And it's already received a hundred and what is it over 200,000 now. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. Yeah. This is from yesterday. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's already received that much, but um. Yeah, she she wanted to make it known that um, no doctor can override legally doc, a legal document of informed consent, a written legal document of informed consent. Um, but some of the comments on here are uh, thank you, you know, for sharing. They want people want this information. They just don't know about it and they don't know where to get it. And even this last one said, when my husband was in the hospital with COVID, he was given a flu shot. No one ever asked for consent. We didn't even know until we got the bill. So that's what's going on in hospitals is uh, they're constantly asking about, uh, you know, the flu vax, the COVID, the COVID uh, vaccine. Uh, Yeah. And they're 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 pushing it on people. And sometimes people don't even know that they'll get it, whether you want it or not. And it's not enough just to say it. You know, what we've realized is that in the last couple of years, because of this huge cultural shift in hospitals in the last three years, that your no is not respected as no. Uh, so just verbally saying no is is being disregarded. So there is a huge necessity to have this novel document that puts your current consent wishes um, in writing. So uh, so here's what people don't understand. You sign a, a general consent. You, you may not remember it. Nobody ever really reads every word of the consent. But I want people to understand that you sign something. This is just an example of one in Texas. It's just kind of a, uh, an example or a template. Uh, but it says general consent. I understand that my health condition requires inpatient or outpatient admission. I consent to authorizing testing treatment and hospital care at this hospital, which happens to be a Texas health resources for the purpose of this example, by hospital nurses, employees, and others, as ordered by the physician and his her uh, consultants, associates, and assistants, or as directed pursuant to standing medical orders or protocols. And as you know, Dr. McCullough, you're going to have to sign a general consent just to be treated because they need your permission to do something to your body, right? Now, the second- Wouldn't you like, I know it's it's essentially a contract and I've got significant experience with contracts. And typically, if you don't agree with something in there, you could put a pencil through it, put your initials on it and sign the date and then also make an addition so you can sure. essentially remove something you disagree yeah. with. And but in it. my situation, I was at 66% oxygen. Yeah, yeah, you, no, that's not going to work. Yeah, but, my husband but, wasn't allowed in, so. Oh, geez. I mean, that is, which isn't the case now. I think there are, are okay. allowing your spouses in or relatives. It's, so that whoever is has the ability, the, the mental capacity mm-hmm. to, to read that should be doing this. Sure. So let's, uh, so the second point, so this is a general consent just for permission to do anything to you because you have bodily autonomy. They need your permission to do something to you. So this is just a general consent that yes, we can start treating you. Uh, Say you walk in with a heart attack, for instance, right? 
Okay, the second point that people don't usually know is very, very important because this whole thing in the last three years had to do with the the sacred relationship between a doctor and a patient. It wasn't the sacred relationship between the hospital and the patient. It wasn't the sacred relationship between the WHO and the patient. It was between the doctor at the end of your bed and the patient. It says independent physicians. I acknowledge that the physician taking part in my care um, for professional, let me see, I can't see it, or providing professional service to me, uh, do not work for the hospital and that the hospital is, this is important, not responsible for their judgment or conduct, okay? So really you need a you need a carve out uh, written consent uh, document that in addition to just the general consent is a contract between you and the doctor. So he knows he's put on notice what it is that you absolutely do not consent to. For instance, a COVID injection, if that's your wishes. And so let's go to the next uh, slide. So the- well, AM- could be even more broadly de- de- uh, defined such as any vaccine or any medication that People I am get to not that. told of You'll get to that, you'll get to that. Hold, hold it up, Dr. McCoy. You're going to be really pleased with our presentation, I promise you. <laughs> There's a lot to cover here. Uh, the AMA, okay, this is what people don't understand. Uh, maybe they do or they don't, but they have a code of ethics, the American Medical Association guidance to physicians, that per the ethics opinion 2.1.1, that when the patient surrogate has provided specific written consent, written consent, the, the, the consent form should be included in the record. This is key, that if you write it down, just as you can say something, you can write it down. Doesn't need an attorney, doesn't need, you don't need uh, any fancy training. You don't need to be a doctor, don't need a nurse. You can write it down. And then when you write it down and deliver it in our specific way, we'll get to that. It's very important how you deliver it per a hospital insider, it gets put into the electronic medical record for everybody to see. And now you've got receipts that if you do something against consent, it's intentional. Okay. So here's the, uh, here's the website. You can find a template for that. It's called ourpatientrights.com. What you'll see there are two PDF documents. One is the actual template. The other one is, uh, is instructions on how to deliver it and very carefully uh, you can edit the document, by the way. You can write your own, but it's just a template. But there's also very specific instructions on how you are going to deliver this so it's not disregarded. Mm-hmm. Next slide. Okay, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see uh, the, the language in the document. Caregiver, I, your name, advise all physicians, nurses, and other caregivers that the this caregivers and consent document reflects my current wishes for my care and our carefully planned and intentional wishes. Okay, that's very important because it's current. Not, It's not gonna kick in when I'm incapacitated. Next yeah. slide. Well, and that's that's an, another issue is a lot of people are coming up and say, well, I have advanced directives and the, the advanced directives are not gonna kick in until you're incapacitated. In the meantime, many patients that have uh, reported to me, um, their loved ones in the hospital have said, well, they actually talked my my father into getting remdesivir. They said they would, um, you know, uh, check his his kidneys um, uh, continuously and things like that. And people are so distressed or without oxygen or in my case, 
face confused uh, because you're not getting enough oxygen. You don't know um, what's going on. And so if you have these in writing, um, there is no uh, way to uh, coerce or manipulate the patient who is in distress at that point. Right. So the main that, thing to understand is that this is not an advanced directive. This is an advanced decision. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that means walking into a hospital, they know from that moment, the clock starts ticking. If you did not want a, a COVID injection, you don't want a COVID injection and it's documented. Okay. So here's the next uh, piece of it is that this caregivers and consent document also reflects my deeply held religious and spiritual beliefs. Okay. This is important because there's already a precedent, as you know, Dr. Mercola, that Jehovah's Witnesses, um, they notice the hospital in writing, they have their own consent that they uh, document that tells them that they don't want uh, blood transfusions. It's it's part of their religious beliefs, a lot of them, that they don't wish to get any blood transfusions. And so they walk into the hospital with a written consent uh, document. So there's already precedent for this mm-hmm. in bio- bioethics. Mm-hmm. Uh, next so and it, it, it I can testify to that too as a practicing physician that mm-hmm. I've encountered that in the past when I was taking care of hospital patients, mostly in training as a resident, but it was well established and known and no one really disputed it. There was no hassle right. at all. They're Jehovah's Witness. They can't have transfusions. As mm-hmm. simple as that. It was accepted and followed. No right. controversy. And it doesn't matter why they believe that way or if the doctor understands it or not. It's their belief that they must right. be respected. So, so it would be discriminatory, would you not agree, that if you had your own religious um, and deeply held spiritual beliefs, whatever that may be, whether it's mainstream religion or if it's something that's uh, not commonly practiced, but it's your own belief that you don't uh, ascribe to getting a, you don't consent to a COVID injection, that you should be respected for that. It would be discriminatory if they said, well, you're not a, the religion that we honor. Mm-hmm. So that's why that language is in there. There's already a precedent for it. And so Jehovah's Witness, here you can see JPAC, it's a transfusion handbook. Uh, they, they acknowledge that Jehovah's Witnesses frequently carry a signed and witnessed advanced decision document listing the blood products and autologous uh, products that are or are not accepted to them. A copy of this should be placed in the medical record, just as we state that once you write it down, it gets put into the medical record. Okay. Yes. And and That's I was the next point. I was just going to say, um, just two days ago before this interview, um, we had I had two Jehovah Witnesses knock on my door, very lovely ladies, and I asked her about this. And they all they both confirmed everything that we're talking about. They carry documentation with them um, so that they are prepared in case this happens and the doctors know what to do. Okay. So the next the next part of our document. Uh, it says receipt of this caregivers and consent document by the hospital serves as notice that I will report. This is important. Uh, uh, listen carefully. Report to the medical board any physician who violates my carefully planned and intentional wishes that are based upon my deeply held religious and spiritual beliefs and are delineated within the caregivers and consent document. This puts the doctor on notice. This isn't a threat. This is just a promise that if you intentionally go against my wishes, if I say that I I do not want surgery and you cut me. That's intentionally disregarding my consent to that. Um, that would be like saying, no, I don't. Cons- I'm going to tell you in a different context. If you were to have a uh, sexual encounter with somebody 
and you did not consent to that, that's called rape. Okay. So we take this very seriously that you've been noticed. It's in the electronic medical records. You cannot say you didn't know that you, that I consent. It's actually a a crime. It's a criminal offense. It's it's assault and and battery, essentially. In in addition to medical malpractice, it's assault and battery. And good physicians, let me tell you something. There are some good physicians and they have, they are, they are clamoring for something like this. They would, they are thankful. There is something they can push back against administration and say, I'm not going to violate this person's written consent. I'm not going to do this to this person. I don't care how incentivized. That, 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 that's a good it. point. That is a good point because because many the, people don't realize that it's not the physician who's a nefarious criminal. Well, it's typically the hospital who's well, forcing it is the doctor. Do In all due respect, Dr. Mercola, the only person who could have given that shot in your body. I don't care how how much pressure there is to keep their job. Yeah. I don't care if somebody has a gun to my head at my place of work and says, shoot that person. They have a gun at my head and I have a gun in my hand or whatever, whatever it is they're asking me to do. I'm not going to do it to keep my job. So really it was just, this is the big, this is the, the big misnomer during the last three years. Well, that the, the, only the that, I don't know that that's a good analogy because uh, maybe not life and death because I mean, yeah. the, the coercion is that's being used in this case is, is it's financial. Lot, lot of, it's financial. It's, it's financial. Job, they may lose their license, yeah. they lose their board credit, uh, affiliation accreditation and their ability no, to, to provide for themselves and their family. So that's pretty powerful. And if they don't really have any strong convictions the other way, they're going to go along with it. It's not like killing exactly. someone in a bind. Right. So, yeah, yeah you know, financially it's incentivized. forced by the hospital, not so much the physician, although obviously the physician's responsible. The, the physician is squarely the one who had the responsibility to, to give that patient's uh, the right to the informed consent, telling them all the risks, the benefits, uh, why they're advising or recommending a certain treatment, medication, intervention. And once that was very, uh, very well communicated to the patient, then the patient could say yes or no. And if they said no, it should have been respected. I don't care how much money, how, how uh, much pressure it is to keep your standing in the community or whatever. That never went away, even during uh, the COVID shielding for hospitals. It was only the patient. It wasn't the CEO. It wasn't the administration. It's only or an elected official. It wasn't with the WHO, Fauci. It was only the guy at the end of your bed, the doctor in your room that could make that decision, whether to give you something to to violate your bodily autonomy. So up until this point, um, up until this point, doctors have had the option to quit their job. And many of them have. They've refused to give this protocol and quit their job and find work somewhere else. But with these documents, if you are blatantly refusing to honor a patient's, patient, patient's wishes and religious beliefs, and, and you're you're doing it against these uh, documented legal forms, then you risk losing your license altogether as a physician and never working in medicine again. So what would you rather do, find another job or find another career altogether? Right. So next, so uh, this is a consequence. Finally, there's a consequence because patients have felt hopeless and helpless 
against uh, a system that seems to be squarely in favor of the medical establishment and not respecting patient rights. Well, you can, you finally are putting that doctor on notice that, look, you are intentionally at that point violating my right to consent. You are doing something against my will that I have not given you permission to do. So what does, what are some examples in this document that you can uh, not consent to? You can not consent to receiving a vaccine uh, booster or COVID-19 injection for any or any variant of the COVID-19 that they come up with, right? Or any flu shots or any any shot, really, <laughs> any uh, vaccine. Which is, which is the best option, obviously. <laughs> so if that's your wish. If that's, your wish. The, that's, that's the best one. It it's, should be highlighted in yellow. Right. <laughs> you don't need a vaccine. So, right. right. And so what we're hearing, I mean, let me give you an example. I was um, helping um, advocate for somebody that went into the hospital for something unrelated to COVID. And she was coerced. She was a 93-year-old. And she was coerced five times to get the uh, COVID injection. And she said clearly when she first was admitted, just so you know, verbally, I do not want a COVID vaccine. And it was her first no should have been enough. But because she didn't have this document, she was asked again and again and again and again. And so on the last day before she was going to be discharged, medically discharged by the hospital, she did not trust that they would not do something in her sleep and call it implied consent, meaning she is drifting off to sleep and she mumbled, she talked in her sleep. She didn't trust them. And so she started to... Uh, proactively start the process of being uh, discharged uh, AMA against medical advice eight hours before she would have been uh, medically discharged by the hospital. So she called the the, the nurse's uh, call station and uh, nobody came. Long story short, she uh, she left, she went home and she made it to her 94th birthday. She just texted me just <laughs> recently. So, so the point is, is that people are being coerced. And it's a battle if you don't have it written, because obviously they didn't respect her verbal consent. And so right. you need it in writing. You need to do this before you ever go to the hospital. Have it handy in case you you get get yourself into a predicament like a multi-car pile up on the highway and an ambulance uh, transports you to the hospital. The time to have this done is before there's a problem. Right. And this form also goes on to tell other, um, it has other uh, bullet can point Can we lists. see the next page on this? Um, well, actually, we don't have the exact next page of it. We have the third. You but can alter it. You can add to it. If yeah. there's something else you don't consent to, if you have allergies, you can put it down in writing. Right. But it also, also lists uh, things I'll, like- I'll tell you one that you should be in there for sure mm -hmm. to revise this. I specifically- uh, I do not consent to receiving any, and any should be in all caps and highlighted, seed oils or seed oil derivatives in any of the food I'm fed at this hospital. Hmm. And you that's something that can be added. There, that could be added. This, yeah, this I like that a lot because, <laughs> that, you know, the food they give you in a hospital is for sure. And, and I would say any high fructose corn syrup derivatives. Sugar is okay, but you can't have it be from high fructose corn syrup. Right. So if you, you eliminate the high fructose corn syrup and the seed oils, they'll actually give you food that will get you better mm -hmm. instead of making you worse. So 
Which and that's something you can add because we do yeah, have yeah. lines. I would say, I would encourage you to add it for so, mm -hmm. because people won't know that. So you could do All that right. because obviously a lot of people are going to download this. I would definitely integrate that mm -hmm. uh, because it's it's sort of the stealth form of abuse. Uh, obviously, giving things like remdesivir and, and ventilators is not a good thing. But the one that people don't aren't aware of almost anyone is that the food they're giving you is just atrocious. It's go, it's designed to get you worse. No so, question. So, right. So any any kind of alteration or amendment you can make, you can even have your own form. But the, what people need to know is you need to have it in writing and it needs to be served in a very specific way we're going to get to. Okay. That's another important point. Yeah. That all items in this caregivers and consent document shall remain in effect unless I choose to revoke in writing. No one else may alter or amend this caregivers or consent document. Why is that important? Because um, if you did... Let's go back to the 93-year-old that I was discussing a minute ago. Did she ever get a COVID yeah. jab? No. She left? no. Oh, okay, good. Because she, she left. I, in my opinion, it's because she left when she did. Because let's say that she did uh, fall asleep, right? And she mumbles something. Uh, they, could, they could possibly say, and because they have control of the electronic medical record, they could say, oh, she with, withdrew that consent. So we have it. We've covered that. We've got your bases covered with this document. There's no misunderstanding. There's no uh, implied uh, withdrawal. Only in writing. Only in it writing. It has to be in writing. Yes, sir. Next slide. That's pretty uh, the, clever. Pretty right. clever. That the document is only as good as um, you're able to deliver it to uh, the appropriate way. So we're going to go into that next. Yeah. And then and let's talk about that. But, but be, before you skip, it, it mm -hmm. looks, it appears that need, ideally it's notarized, which means you should do this document before you before. go to mm -hmm. the hospital. Before. Bingo. Yes. Before. before. I'm telling everybody right now, you don't know if it's, it's uh, 24 hours from now or 24 years from now when you get into that catastrophic car wreck that, that you need to go to or a heart attack or stroke. You should have these documents done ahead of time. So, because they're going to take a little, they're going to take a little uh, proactive measures on your part. Okay. So, how do you do this? Now, I'm, I'm going to let you know that these aren't Laura Bartlett's ideas. These are not Greta Crawford's ideas. This is a nurse attorney. This is kind of a unicorn in the universe. Okay. She's a nurse a, a, attorney and a hospital insider in administration, former hospital administrator. Who else would know that the CEO uh, impacts the med electronic medical records? So if he receives this document, that's why we're sending it to the CEO. We'll get to that part in a minute, but you're going to send it priority mailer, certified return receipt requested. So you have the receipts. They they got it. They know you got it. They know you know they got it. And from that moment on, the clock starts ticking. Right. Wait, wait, wait. What's that? What's the timing on this? I'm assuming you have to we'll send this. Before, you know, once you're admitted, right? Right. So you're going to carry some in with you. If you're so fortunate to have it on your body, you're going to have a copy, mm -hmm. right? You're going to make ten copies. You're going to you're going to get this document notarized. Well, it, it should it copies. should be in the glove compartment of your car. Right. Your purse, or even in even wallet. in your purse. You know, in your purse, in, in your wallet possibly right next to your driver's license. So when they say, who is this Jane Doe? They mm -hmm. see this document, right? Um, so you have it somehow in your control as a patient, but you're also gonna, you're gonna make 10 copies. You're going to, you're gonna send one 
certified return uh, certified mail in a priority mailer so it stands out when the sec- the uh, personal assistant secretary for the CEO sees the mail sees that this is important if it's flagged we got to open this one this one's certified that you also you also send it a uh, professional legal document courier service you know uh, as I'm not, I'm not talking about FedEx. I'm not talking about DHL. I'm talking about a professional courier that would uh, deliver, say, uh, legal documents. You can Google that. Every practically every city has one. You're going to pay for that. So it's a little uh, expense, but it's worth it. Since it, it's legally noticed in two ways to the hospital, but you're also going to have uh, a couple of people on the outside uh, that are close to you also get copies. Uh, people you trust that you've informed that I've got these documents. I've made you one of my contacts so that if, for instance, you're uh, you can't mail it because you're in the hospital now, they'll do that for you. They're the ones who are going to be your your foot soldiers to go to the post office and deliver that document that you've already given your friends. Okay, And so if you're in the hospital and you have like that 93 year old, uh, the mental capacity, the physical capacity to call somebody, you call those people and you say, remember that form I gave you with the instructions stapled to it that are on your refrigerator that I told you to put there, mail it now. I'm in the hospital. They do these steps. They will have every step delineated that have been uh, given to us from that brave anonymous hospital insider who happens to be that unicorn in the universe that knew how to do this, how to get it into the electronic medical record. So what you're going to do is you're going to give the copy to the your attending physician. You're going to give it to a nurse, the copy. You're also, you're going to let them know that if they decide they're going to crumple it up and go, I don't want it and throw it in the trash, let them know that you're going to be, your hospital is going to be served legally the same documents you. So just so you know, it's going to be in the electronic record uh, next business day. If it's it's after hours and the post office is closed, you're going to get this, okay? And then you're going to keep uh, you're going to keep some other uh, additional copies of the caregivers and consent document for your records to distribute as needed to other care providers. Mm-hmm. Hey, that is great. Okay, so here's uh, have you ever heard this anywhere else? I have never heard this strategy. But again, there's a precedent with Jehovah's Witnesses, and it works. But we're we're expanding it so that anybody can have their own consent respected. You don't have to be a just a Jehovah's Witness to do this. You can have your own consent in writing according to your own deeply held spiritual and religious beliefs. And if they're not respected, that's discrimination. So here's here's the people who we've been um, believe we've been led to believe for the last three years who matter when it comes to informed consent. The World Health Organization, no, eh, wrong. The CDC, no, that's wrong. Elected officials, wrong again. The hospital in general, wrong. The hospital CEO, wrong. I'll add the CNO, the nurse, the custodian, the food service director. None of that implies applies to informed consent. It is only the medical doctor treating you with a medical license, which uh, could be lost, 
if he is intentionally violating your written consent that has been noticed legally in two different specific ways to the hospital and added to your electronic medical record. It is always that sacred relationship. I can't stress it enough between the doctor and the patient. All other superfluous uh, conversations about these entities that did this and said that and had this bill and this COVID uh, shielding for the hospital, it didn't move the needle once in one of the advocacy instances that I've been involved in. The only thing that got people out alive was that they either left AMA or they were able, I was able to negotiate, they were able to negotiate with that doctor because he is the one who directs your care plan. He's the one who orders the drug from the pharmacy. He directs the nurse to put experience? Do you have any experiences of people who have completed this template, this contract of the informed consent, and they've been able to use, leverage that to help the we negotiation? Have, they're all at hospital hostage help. We have testimonials. Okay. Mm-hmm. So people have used this already. You've seen it's been in effect and people are getting success yes. with it. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. You can't deny something's in writing. Yeah, it was your intentional, your, your carefully planned intentional wishes. It's been notarized. It was signed. It was delivered two legal ways. It's now in the medical record. Why? How does it get into the electronic medical record? The CEO, why do we send it to the CEO and not just give it to the doctor? Because the CEO is tasked in the structure of the hospital to, to for all business for the hospital. And that, that means the hospital electronic record too. So they're going to be uh, very interested in getting that into the electronic medical record quickly. You think it's, uh, well, you know, I, I have not seen patients in a hospital this century. So, and uh, when I was seeing patients, the electronic medical rec- record existed in my office, but it certainly wasn't in the hospital. Now it's pretty standard. So I don't know. But when I was seeing patients, there was a physical chart that you had and, you know, it was on the nursing station. You'd go. It's all EMR now. It's all EMR. It's all EMR. Okay. So, so you walk uh, around with a tablet. So, so here's what you do. I'm going to advise uh, what I do all the, so do, the point of the question though, let me just finish. The point of the question was, you know, with the, we have a hard copy for the reticle. You can actually look through it. They can scan like it. Telephone book. So should the patient be asking for their chart so they can see Good that question. this document is in the chart? Good question. And that's what I, I just mentioned. I always tell, and these tips are on hospitalhostagehelp.com. You should immediately get into your electronic medical record. If you don't know how to do that, call the hospital, sound the alarms, uh, make some noise until you get into the ele- access into the electronic medical record. It's your right. And if they you tell can, you, 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 can, you know. Can you access it? Like you say, say you bring a notebook to the hospital and, and you ha- you're online, you can access it through There's an a portal. portal. There's an online portal. And so uh, a lot of people don't, don't really know how to navigate the whole process of being a patient. I didn't, frankly, uh, 15 years ago when I had surgery. Um, uh, so it was, uh, anyway, um, append- appendectomy. So did I ask these questions? Did I know this? 15 years ago? No, I didn't. Most people don't, but they should get immediately uh, access to that electronic medical record so you can make sure 
that even this document is placed in the electronic medical record, that it didn't end up uh, under a pile of mail on the secretary's desk or that the, or a drug was given to you that you did not consent to or what the dosage, the route, the, the name of the medication, all that. You can see the frequency they're giving you something. Mm-hmm. You can see what the, the progress notes are. You need to get into that. You can see your lab work. Mm-hmm. So you need to get into that electronic medical record. Do not and- blindly trust the doctor just because you've had a conversation with your doctor and, and the doctor said, okay, so you don't want um, fentanyl. We won't give you, um, I understand. Uh, that doesn't mean anything. He can be really, she can be really nice and saying it. Um, in the end, you need to check your medical record because there's some instances where um, people have refused a certain medication and then they check their um, online portal and there they are being given that medication every you know hour, 30 minutes. They don't know until they check. Yeah, well, this has been useful. I didn't realize it was that easy for a person to access their medical record. It has been really difficult last century. I mean, you would have had to go to the nurse's station and get the darn thing. And I don't think they hardly ever did, allowed a patient to look at their medical record. I mean, they may have, but I don't think so. But now you can just, uh, that is a really empowering. I didn't realize that was an option. Yeah, we're all about empowering people. Look, I'm not, like I said, let me let me say it again. I'm not a nurse. I'm not a doctor. Uh, the, your rights weren't just for doctors and nurses to understand. It was for all of us. We all had the right to inform consent and it didn't go away just because no. there were COVID legal shieldings for hospitals. That doctor still had a duty and obligation for biomedical ethics opinion 2.1.1 to respect your informed consent, telling you all the risk and benefits, explaining it all, and then waiting till you've assessed it and you make a de- determination whether or not that's a yes or a no, and then respect that yes or a no as yes and no. Your yes means yes, your no means no. And the only way that we can make sure that there's no ambiguity about this, no misunderstanding, is to have it in writing documented that yeah. it will so go what into do you, What are you calling this document? It's not an advanced directive. You have it in the advanced decision. It's a current decision. Advanced decision document. Current. Current. It's a current consent. Current consent. Current consent form would be another way. Mm-hmm. It is a current consent decision document. Current okay. Advanced decision. Current consent form. The only one that we know of that's similar like this is the Jehovah's Witness. I, I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, did you model it after that? Did you model it's, it after that? It, the idea for it came from the. Uh, I wouldn't have known this was from that hospital insider who will remain anonymous for this individual's safety and security. I think you can understand why um, that's important because it allows us to get this information out. There would be a lot of maybe possible resistance to people knowing this. Mm-hmm. Well, there will be, there's no question. So uh, I am going to take that your document and revise it and include two new uh lines that people need to have one as i mentioned earlier is on the food and i'll make the language really really clear so people can choose to mark that on their document and the other is the generic one i mean i really like that you put down all vaccines essentially converting them to an anti-vaxxer for most people which is an option but i think the same should be for all medications with the caveat or the the caution that i cannot be given any medication unless i am told what it is that's what on the there. Risk and the That's already there. there. Okay, Dr. good. Yeah. You- no, no treatment, no intervention, no medication. There's, there's actually 
Okay, good. Yeah, because it's got to be there. It's got to be there. It's, it's already actually there. the first. It's the first one you can check off. Okay, so it's, perfect, it's definitely perfect. there. You just got to include the food now. <laughs> right. <laughs> food is key. Right. You can, you, you can revise it any way you want. Doctor, we are so, so grateful. Mm-hmm. We're so grateful to you. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate you. that. But but everyone watching this should be grateful for you because this is one of those rare things. Many times I interview guests that have some great products, but there's conflicted because they're selling something. You are not selling one thing. This is a freebie. This is a gift. This is a gift. For three years, I have, I've put my life on hold. I, this isn't to say anything about me. I'm just wanting you to know full transparency that I have nothing to sell. I have no affiliate links. I don't have a product. I don't, I don't sell the service as advocacy. It's 24 seven. If somebody calls me at Two o'clock in the morning, I answer the phone. Uh, so Greta's the same. She has not monetized any of this. No. Yeah, well, that's that's we the ultimate. We just want people safe. We just yeah. want people safe. And we've heard too many heartbreaking stories. And I'll tell you, the reason to add that phrase that there are consequences to the doctor was I was I was walking around on the leaves uh, uh, in Texas um, when I got a call from, I was advocating for somebody and the doctor deliberately willfully disregarded this person's uh, wishes for consent and uh, their husband died. And I was consoling the family afterwards, the just hours afterwards. And I said, I promise you, Nancy, that I'm revising the way I do things going forward. I'm going to put that doctor on notice. There will be consequences to that doctor. So did she that, sign the advanced decision? She, no, doctor? she she didn't have that. They did not have that at the time. Oh, okay. And so I'm saying that uh, that was the motivation. That, that was the motivation was that there there seemed to be no consequence. They couldn't. There was no recourse for uh, for any of this because wow. they had been told that the cares uh, the cares act covered hospitals and the doctors were going along to get along. And the prep act, and, right? Yeah. Essentially, it was the doctor's word against the patient and the family's word. And and that's all that you had. But now when you have documentation that's legally delivered and you have a signature that they've received it, you have the receipt. So denying something like that, when you have all this documentation, um, I think it's a, a great motivator for them to do the right thing if they wouldn't choose to do it on their own. Right. Because for some reason, just moral... A uh, moral obligation or professional obligation to uh, uphold your duty to respect informed consent didn't seem to be a big motivator for a lot of doctors, unfortunately. I'm sad to report that. But um, now there will be consequences, just like if you were to go into a, a, um, a store, a clothing store, and you see the notice that says uh, no sh- shoplifters will be uh, prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Why did they put that there? Why did they notice that in writing? Because it's a it detriment. works. Mm-hmm. It works. Obviously, there's a precedent that it works. You trespass if you see a sign that says "No trespassing." Uh, uh, violators will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And there's there's uh, it's, this property is surveilled by uh, camera, video camera. Why do they Why do they do that? It's a deterrent. It's a deterrent. It puts them on notice that I know my rights, and I'm going to let you know that I know. Yeah. And that these are the consequences. Maybe so, we'll get some things different. Would one what 1.1 million people in America need to die if maybe the doctor said, hmm, 
even bad doctors, say that they're just Dr. Evil, would they maybe stop and think, I might lose my job, but this one, I'm going to let this one go. Maybe the other ones that don't fight back, the ones who uh, just passively go through the system and and let me do whatever I want to, uh, you know, because of that general consent they signed that gave them implied consent for everything else. This one sent me notice. It's in the electronic record. I'll let this one go. I'm not going to do it to this one. What if 1.1 million people had done this? So you, I don't you have you have anything a, a, in the future to, to occur large, like this. You have a large number of people who signed this document, examples that you said. And I'm wondering if anyone has used this when the when the physician has violated their consent and, and they've been prosecuted. It went up to the medical not, board or have their license revoked. Oh yeah, this is no, this is this is novel, this is new, but I'm telling you that um this definitely puts them on notice. What, you know, can yeah. you? I've, I've heard this, uh, Dr. Merkel. I've heard I've heard people ask, well, worst case scenario, what's going to stop somebody from just wanting, you know, just doing whatever they want, even if you did put them on notice? And I have oh, to say, what's going to stop? What's what's going to happen? Can can I guarantee that people that are hell bent on doing something to harm somebody, uh, violating their rights, can I guarantee that that they won't do that now? Because there are people, even if you even if you don't want somebody to kick in your back door while you're doing it. Yeah. They're going to do it. There are those people, but it sure is a big deterrent to have a lock on your door. They have a notice. But for every physician, there's the other component is called malpractice. Mm -hmm. And most physicians have malpractice insurance. If you, they, if they violate a specific, clearly documented and delivered, legally delivered document intentionally, and there's harm, you are looking at seven to eight figure judgments and, and it doesn't almost doesn't go to trial. It's that quick. I mean, it's just, you it's move, a slam dunk. there's, there's it's, no way you, you are a hundred percent lost. No way around that. Just, all they have to do is document that you did it and violate it. And you're dead in the water. That's what, well, why, why, why would the Jehovah's Witness work? Why would the Jehovah's Witness uh, consent document work for them? Right. Because and it what, what we've it experienced um, using these documents is that a complete change in the attending physician from um, being aggressive and maybe um, <laughs> trying to pushy to arrogant, really, authoritative, tyrannical, right, <laughs> to being very helpful and and um, efficient. And, you know, once they receive these documents, they they just have a 180, you know. So wow. and the patient does. As a matter of fact, one uh, patient's brother told me uh, he's getting treated uh, better than he's ever been treated at a hospital before. And this nice, is a patient nice. that had security called on him yes. when he was admitted. He had security for his his uh, his advocate to be uh, taken out of the hospital. So this document, within uh, minutes of that occurring, they got the document, got it signed, got changed everything. So I'm, I'm apologize. Wow, apologize. Wow. This is a prior version of this. This mm-hmm. is the. This is the like 3.0 version. Oh, well, 4.0 uh, oh, is, is putting including the food. Yes. <laughs> so, so the the thing that everybody you imagine is, that you come out of the hospital healthier than when you went in. That would be awesome. <laughs> we want people to be safe. We want them to know that they need to do this before there's a problem. You wear your seatbelt before you get in a wreck. Mm-hmm. You you need to have things in order you need to, you're going to need to get involved in your own health care just like you were saying dr mercola do everything you can to prevent yourself from even having to go yeah, yeah, that's enough that's but the first that's order. number one you don't, you don't want to be in the hospital 
but there are those cases. And I know regardless of whether or not I would like everybody to do the right thing, I know that there are people going to the hospital regardless. There are thousands of people in hospitals right now. There will be thousands. No, more. no, 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 no. There's tens of thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands. Right. Exactly. In any particular hospital. We need we need people to know this because it takes a while to change trajectory of the Titanic. Mm-hmm. Right. So what can and we get share, now? Share we, this information, not just to share it so others have the knowledge, but share it with those specific individuals that are going to be helping you out in a situation in case you have an emergency. You all need to be on the same page. You all need to be what's going on, well, knowing what's going on. I would recommend, you know, for those who have a regular spiritual practice and involved in the spiritual community and go to church, yes. synagogue, that they share this with that community. Exactly. Because everyone in that community needs this information. This needs to spread like a wildfire. There's no exactly. question. There's no cost. Why would there be a reluctance to do this? And this is a simple strategy. It's virtually free. It just mm-hmm. takes a few minutes of your time that could save your life. Exactly. Crazy. Perfect. Perfectly All stated. Right, well, this has been phenomenal. Far better. I thought it would be great. It would. It, it's exponentially better than Andrew Saul's approach that I interviewed 10 years ago. I mean, he hit the foundations right, but he didn't have the practical legal implementation that essentially it came from the guarantees that they can't harm you. It literally guarantees it. Now they still can legally, but the consequences, the legal consequences are so severe that the person doing it would have to be highly irrational because uh, a hospital or drugs or both because what it doesn't, it wouldn't make any it sense to violate it. this. The risks are too serious. Right. The to hospital, what people need to understand is the hospital will not indemnify the physician. They will right. not have your back. The His insurance company sure won't. <laughs> and the thing is, a hospital cannot function without those group of doctors. So if all those doctors refuse to uh, put their license on the line, then you don't have a hospital. So yeah, yeah. something something is going to have to change. Well, yeah, this is an interesting strategy because what many of us are concerned about is the World Health Organization getting the ability, the legal authority to declare a pandemic and declare a pandemic recommendations, which obviously get implemented world globally and then in all the hospitals. But if you, even in the, it appears to be happening at some point in the future, whether it's a year, two years, three years from now, it likely will happen as far as I can discern. But if even if that does happen and you've got this legal protection, even if, if you implemented this in COVID, I mean, you could have circumvented this with mm-hmm. simple things yes. that they cannot violate. They cannot I mean, violate your religious beliefs. Well, you could again. You could, but without you cannot violate without serious legal Je- consequences. Jehovah's serious. Witness, Jehovah's Witness faith oh, yeah. has made a precedent for this. Yeah, in mm-hmm. COVID nineteen, they didn't give, they didn't change the course and give Jehovah Witnesses blood transfusion. They did not right. do that. So, so that's, uh, that's 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 the uh, secret sauce. There is that is. even with a pandemic, even future, because I I'm there's so much fear porn. Uh, Dr. McCall out there. Uh, there's so much fear. There's so much where it's almost paralyzing people and they do nothing. Hear this, that the Jehovah's Witness had this document throughout the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it did, for decades before. So, so case, in, case in point, it is the smoking gun as far as receipts that I have my written notice. They had their written notice. They said they didn't want blood transfusions. Pandemic 1.1. 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. That's the document. That's the process. That's the strategy. Yeah. And that's what we're going to use going forward because it works. 
<laughs> it would have worked for Gratis. You wouldn't have got that remdesivir. Yes. That's for sure. I, I wish I had known yeah, then what I knew me at the time. Mm-hmm. I did not know yeah. her at all. Yeah. Yeah. So we learned by, you know, it was a very expensive tuition you had to pay to learn Almost that. Almost my life. Lesson. Yeah. No. So now so, you can pay it forward to others. Yes. And the, the others don't have to make the same mistake yeah. you did. And it really right. wasn't a mistake. It was suffer the consequences because we didn't lack have the knowledge. knowledge. It was my lack of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it was. And it's, yeah. it's, it's not, and it's not ignorance. It's just naivete, you know, just, yeah. just was, was have to be an exit. Yeah. Well, you know, but in all, to, 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 in all fairness, you would have to be that unicorn I spoke of, somebody who's a nurse, a registered nurse, an attorney, and somebody who worked within the system at such a high level in the administration that you would, to understand the relationship between the administrative side of the hospital and the uh, medical staff services side, which is the doctor. Right. You would have to know that relationship and how how to exploit that relationship for lack of a better way of explaining it to know that the doctors will have something to push back and say, I know you said this is the protocol for XYZ, variant XYZ, but I'm not doing it. I'm not doing yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, and to yeah, know that, that that relationship is so um, fragile yeah. that they want to retain those doctors, they'll say, okay, okay. Yeah, but even with this, I mean, it'll protect you from the damages they're seeking to do, but what will not do, and make it clearly, this can't force them to give you something you want. Like you couldn't sign a document that says, mm-hmm. I want ivermectin or I want hydroxychloroquine. Uh, it's, it's not going to work for this. No. no, That's okay. You got your other uh, uh, ace up the sleeve, which is you could sign out AMA. Yes, with maybe you can get out alive financially, but yes, you can sir. get out alive and then find someone who can. Mm-hmm. So you can't force them to do something that they don't want to do because they have their own right. freedoms too. Right, but that you, you can they you you can force them to avoid doing anything you don't want to do. That's, that's absolutely is. right. And let me tell you, in the last three years, that was the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Overwhelmingly, it's a really great solution. This is probably Thank one of you. the best outcomes I've seen from this pandemic. There are a few silver linings of what's happened. Mm-hmm. One of the best is uh, the vaccine adoption rate dropped 44%, yes. not just to COVID jabs, just right. all vaccines in general. Right. To me, that's something I've been fighting for for almost 30 years. So that's a huge silver lining. But yeah, this is another one. This is a very powerful It makes you question... That yeah. Everything. It makes you question yeah, yeah. every Absolutely. vaccine from now in pa- on yeah. past. Mm-hmm. So I, I thank you both for doing this and doing it out of the you know, kindness of your heart and doing it without any compensation. Uh, I, I would encourage everyone, everyone watching this, you've got to be irrational or seriously time deprived or both not to implement this immediately. But what, what I would plead for you to do is to share this interview because you, people are going to want to know the details of it. Mm-hmm. But once they do, it's just so obvious what the next step is. You've got to share it with as many people as you can. And this means large communities. You know, it's okay if you feel shy or, or, you know, diffident, maybe you have friends who aren't, but you go into your churches and your synagogues, your local communities, you know, hundreds of people need to hear this at once. And if you've got, this is going to go out to a significant percentage of a million people. So I would strongly recommend that you share this. And if you get, you get, you know, 
if half of you do that, it's 500,000 times. I mean, we, we can get this to tens of millions of people. This needs to be seen by everyone. Everyone needs to know this. We, we need to empower the patient. And this tool, I've never seen anything like this that will empower the hospital patient. I mean, this is a, this is a transformational step. So great kudos and appreciations to all your hard work and effort for providing it for everyone. Yeah. Well, when, when that, that insider, when that insider is safe for that insider to come forward, I cannot wait for this person to finally get the credit due. I have never heard. Enough, well, yeah. You know, we're grateful for the whistleblowers slash insider, yes. but you, you need to acknowledge your hard work and efforts to put this thing together and your commitment and you. dedication and services. It would have never happened. That whistleblower said, yeah, you can just tell you, but you it, it most of the time would fall in deaf ears or just used personally. And that was the end of it. You, you recognize the potential for saving literally hundreds of thousands of millions of lives uh, with this strategy. So thank you for, for listening to your, that voice and, you know, following through with it. We're so honored that you were willing to have us on and to share this, Dr. McCullough. We really respect everything you've done for decades Thank you. Yeah, well, it's 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 totally aligned with the mission that I've had for the site for the longest time is to bring this valuable type of information, preferably free, has been my goal. There's a lot of these strategies can't be free. There's some cost to it, but this one is 100% free and literally could save your life. That, and that is anything but hyperbole. That is anti-hyperbole. That is just simple fact. So it's good. Thank you so much. You're welcome.